Today I'd like to take as a subject, Disciples Make the Best Of. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. And Lord, help us to take uh, the gospel with us and be your faithful witnesses in the world. For Christ's sake, amen. Today, I'd like to spend some time sharing around the theme of what disciples do when the cultural shifts, when the culture changes. How do disciples respond? Also, I want to begin by talking just a little bit about some of the contingencies that we presently face. We have come through the COVID pandemic. Some folks say we're still in it. And to be honest with you, I think there have been more people close to me in this congregation, in the community, who have had COVID since the scare was over than was when we were not meeting in the church. It's just continuing. You're an RN. What's the status of COVID now? Okay. I knew you would know. I still see people at the grocery store wearing masks. Some of us uh, suffered a great deal because of COVID. Uh, some of us lost loved ones, and my family was not accepted. My precious brother-in-law died from COVID. And it's been a terrible time readjusting uh, to that. But we think about other things. How many people in this congregation recently have had cancer are being treated for it right now? Your culture has shifted. It's as if you have moved out into a new land. There are other kinds of illnesses. Some of you have had heart issues. We've had hip replacements and knee replacements and shoulder replacements. Somebody told me I needed that brain transplant. I wouldn't say that's Reverend Touchton. I know you think it sometimes. <laughs> Just think about the shifts that have taken place in our lives just during the last few months or the last couple of years. How does a human being and how does a disciple of Jesus Christ respond to those shifts that come to us in different ways and so that brings me to the first point of this sermon today and I want to talk about circumstances circumstances 
What do disciples do in the midst of circumstances? Now, Jeremiah here writes a letter to the Jewish leaders and the people, including the children, who are now in bondage over in Babylon. But here's the thing about it. Jeremiah has for years been warning the people of what was coming. And they did not pay attention. He kept saying to them, all of these political alliances, all these spiritual alliances, and all of these social alliances that are making your faith a liability are going to cause you to have to pay the price. It's not healthy. And so they wound up in Babylonian captivity. And these false prophets are running around and saying, oh, it's just going to hurt a little while. You're just going to be there a few weeks and then everything's going to be all right and then you're going to come home. And Jeremiah says, listen, what you are experiencing, these circumstances are going to last for several generations. So settle down, live life normally. Really, I think the the ground level way this would be put in our culture would be suck it up and go on. I've recently been reading about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Fascinating. On Reformation Sunday in November of 1932, Bonhoeffer preached in one of the glorious churches in Berlin. The dignitaries were there, the people were there, the members of the church were there. This is before Hitler became chancellor on January 31st, 1933. And Bonhoeffer in that sermon tried to warn the people of what was coming. The leaders of the country would not listen. The people in the church would not listen. They were compliant. And my understanding that that country is still dealing with the guilt of not hearing what the spiritual message was in their day. Enough said. You all know the rest, rest of that story. You all know the rest of that story. And so they're in this country. And listen to how they respond. Uh, you've heard this many times. But this psalm, Psalm 137, comes out of... Uh, their experience in captivity. Listen to the author. 
by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors ask us for songs and our tormentors ask for mirth, saying, Sing us the songs of Zion. And they cry out, How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Jeremiah says, As people of faith, even though you were disobedient, as people of faith, it's going to be a while. Live life as normally as you can. Give your children. Well, well first of all, he says, have, have a lot of children. We'll speak to that in just a minute. And then marry your children off. And bring another generation. And work for the peace of the land. And encourage them. Train them. Bless them that they might be a blessing where they are. We had a bishop's wife that used to say, bloom where you're planted. Remember that? Now, secondly, let's move on to talk about something very close to home. Let's talk about age. Let's talk about age. A few years ago, we had a visitor and, and his wife, or I might say wife and her husband, came in and were sitting in the back. I went back and spoke to them. And then I came up and I said to Noel, high note, I said, would you go back there and speak to that white-headed white couple? I said, they're new. Well, he turned around and looked. He said, which one? They're all white-headed. For many years now, we've been hearing that the Methodist church is an aging church. We're a graying church, and that's a reality, and we're one of them. There is a sense in which this is a shift, but the reality is that this is where we are. And I believe Jeremiah will say to us, church, suck it up. Affirm the beauty and the energy and the grace of youth. But be appreciative of the hoary head because the gray head is a crown of glory. Tim, where's Tim Hagen? Tim, you did a great the Sunday school this morning was absolutely wonderful. We had a great time. You thought we'd been at a Saturday night uh, party somewhere. It was great. But you'll, you'll appreciate this story. Alonzo Amos Stagg was a coach at the University of Chicago. Coached football, a lot of other things. He was forced to retire when he was 70 years old. Then he went to the College of the Pacific. 
He coached for 10 years after that. And they gave him the honor of the coach of the year. And listen to this. He coached 18 years after that. And when they had his 100th birthday party, they asked him to make a statement, and he said, Folks, I may just live forever. He said, Statistics show that not many men die after the age of 100. <laughs> you know, I go out to American Senior Living every Tuesday. And before I left the other day, they must have had a program on this, but one of the ladies sitting over there shouted at me. She said, Brother Jim, we don't have no dementia out here. And you know, I, I thought I'm tempted to feel like that lady was in denial. But, but when I thought about it, I think what she was trying to say to me was the very message of here. Yes, we got our problems. We got our circumstances. But we're going to make the best of it. So, folks, don't put us old folks down. Don't say you're over the hill. As a matter of fact, they're going to the top of the hill on Friday. And we're going to have lunch together, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to be just as old as we are. You keep going. If you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, when Martha calls you, you volunteer. <laughs> when our precious, precious choir director and music director, when she calls you to do a solo, hey, Don, I'll be glad to. Hallelujah. Don't yield to the cultural shift that says there is no place for old people in the church anymore. We got a lot of young churches across town and they're full up to the brim this morning. But if we can get some of our older people in this church to take their mask off and quit complaining and get themselves in church, we'll fill this building up. Amen. I can say that because I is one of you. <laughs> now then, let's move on to youth and children. You thought I forgot you, didn't you? Oh, no, this message is for you too. I look forward to the day when God will once again walk up and down the aisles and the pews of our churches in our colleges and in our institutions like they did right here with Reverend Touchton and lay God's hand on her and say, I'm calling you to get in line and go. There was a time where young people 
would run to the altar to give themselves to God and say, we'll answer the call. That happened to Mother Teresa. I went to see that movie the other night. They're trying to, uh, how, how do you say it? They're trying to refocus her uh, for another age, for, for, for our time. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. But she felt that call even though all of her life she lived in a dungeon of darkness. She felt like God had deserted her. And she felt that and confessed it constantly to her father confessor. And that has only been revealed through letters that were kept secret for many, many years. But in spite of all that, as a young person on up until an older person, she responded to the call of God. There is a place for the children right here at this altar on Sunday morning and in Sunday school to train and prepare our young people not just to be the church of tomorrow but to be the church of the day. And young people, I got to say this to you too. Suck it up and come on. When God lays that hand on you, Say, here I am, Lord. Send me. How do you think those people in Babylonian captivity, those children and, and, and young adults, when mom and dad called them out to work for the betterment of the land in which they were captive, how do you think they felt, those children? We know they responded positively. And then finally, a very important word, shalom, peace. So he says, it's translated in this version, welfare. Work for the welfare of the land. Work for the peace of the land because as you develop the welfare, show concern for the welfare of the land, your welfare is wrapped up in that. Peace. Work for peace. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. I know we have a tendency to think that. And that is part of what peace means. To have the absence of any anxiety and concern. That's part of it. But the other part of it is to have a mentality that will give every ounce of your energy to work for peace. And folks, I want to say this. From our perspective as Christians, you don't work for peace by creating all kind of havoc and conflict. It's totally inconsistent and hypocritical. Peace is something you work for from within because you have it experienced in your heart. And you, uh, sure, I've been in a war. We can work, we can make peace by force, but that's not the ideal. Because just as soon 
as the force is gone, you have war again. It has to come from within. And friends, when you work for Shalom and when you experience it and work for the welfare of everyone concerned, your church included, that's when you'll experience the fullest meaning of this concept that we refer to as Shalom. So I want to ask you today, will you look at your circumstances and hear the prophet's word? Will you look at all the gray heads in our congregation and in our community and say, I'm going to join them in their mission to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ? Will you look at the young people in our congregation and say, I'm going to do everything within my power. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to work to make these young people successful. I'm going to give what I have to give. I'm going to use whatever energy is necessary. And when I'm called to be a blessing to our youth, I intend to do that. And then, be at peace. Because after it's all said and done, our welfare depends on that. To the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.